It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic conversation show. John Suntress here, very excited about today's guest, Tony Hendra, a great writer for National Lampoon, a great editor for National Lampoon as well, and performer on the National Lampoon Radio Hour and the National Lampoon Comedy Albums. In fact, one of my favorite bits was called uh, Magical Misery Tour, where it was a parody. They actually took the real words from a John Lennon 1970 Rolling Stone article, put them to music, and Tony, in a great Lennon imitation, basically did a, a a song version of that Lennon interview. Uh, it's very, very funny. You can hear it on YouTube, and it, it's, a, it's a great piece of comedy. Guess what? National Lampoon is back in the comedy album business, and uh, Tony Hendra and his group, The Final Edition, perform new sketches in a new album, the first in 35 years. The album is called Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight? The setting for the album is at a community college where uh, the kids are a little upset that their safe zone has been uh, upset by uh, Tony and the performers as they do these sketches. Great stuff, and uh, coming at a great time. You might remember that uh, just a few weeks ago, the University of Chicago in my neighborhood stood up and said, guess what, kids? No safe zones. You learn by hearing other people's views, whether they are offensive views or not. And uh, that's a great uh, move because it seems like comedy is under siege on campuses, literally a comedian's getting booed off stage for uh, getting a little spicy with their material. That's weird. I I grew up in a completely 180 environment where we kind of invited subversive and satirical comedy that would be considered offensive, but again, it's a joke. So uh, it's really interesting to hear Tony's view on uh, today's environment and uh, what he is uh, facing it on some college campuses. But it seems like uh, the new album is fantastic. Tony also is a, an incredible author and uh, wrote about uh, why the uh, original subversive movement ended in the 80s. We talk a little bit about that. You probably know Tony best as Ian Faith, Spinal Tap's manager in the funny mockumentary, This is Spinal Tap. We talk about Tony's uh, experience uh, working with uh, the Spinal Tap guys, but he has a long history with these guys. Christopher Guest, Bill Murray, um, you know, John Belushi were among the National Lampoon Radio Hour uh, cast members, later to become all Saturday Night Live members. And uh, Tony also was involved with their original stage show, Lemmings, which uh, featured all those guys, including uh, Chevy Chase as well and Gilda Radner. Gilda also a big part of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. So it's great to hear uh, Tony talk about the past, uh, the present, and the future of satirical comedy today on Word Balloon. Really happy to bring you this interview. Uh, it is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your continued support. Subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. Uh, I thank you for that. Uh, it gives me the opportunity to do great uh, interviews like this wonderful one today with Tony. So if you have interest in uh, subscribing to Word Balloon, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause out with a subscription, uh, just even a dollar a month, go to wordballoon.com, uh, click on the Patreon page, and uh, you can contribute right there. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. Don't forget this new comedy album, 
uh, the final edition of National Lampoon Present, Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight, is available now as a download and a CD. Go to uh, Amazon, go to iTunes, anywhere you uh, purchase downloadable music, and uh, you will find this comedy album at a very reasonable price. I really enjoyed a lot of the sketches, and it has that spirit and, and pacing that uh, classic National Lampoon albums had. And of course it does, because Tony was a big part of the Radio Hour and the comedy albums themselves. As we go into the interview, one little disclaimer, unfortunately. When I did the interview, I had a couple technical difficulties, and everything looked like it was recording fine. Tony's volume was recorded extremely low. Good news, I was able to boost it, and you can hear him fine. Sadly, you can also hear me breathing incredibly heavily because I had to <laughs> increase the volume. I just want to point out two things. One, I am not aroused by our conversation. Two, I am not having a heart attack during our conversation because there's a lot of heavy breathing during uh, Tony's responses, and it's only because uh, we, I had to uh, augment the volume so that you could hear it. But really, this is a really fun interview, and I really want to help uh, the cause out because uh, I'm really glad that the Lampoon is back in the business of doing good comedy because there was a really long period where the National Lampoon name was used on a lot of really bad direct-to-video movies and even lousy ones that made it to the screen. And yes, I'm talking about crap like, oh God, I don't even remember some of the names. So John Levitz was in a few of them. I remember Loaded Weapon. I, I really didn't find that very funny. Uh, I mean, and that was really one of the ones that even made it to the screen. Uh, but so many bad things. And in fact, Tony talks about uh, the people that had the National Lampoon brand and how they kind of ran it into the ground. But uh, new owners, and the great thing is they've gone back to basics and tapped Tony to be uh, among the people that are going to, I hope, uh, bring this creative revolution back to the National Lampoon brand. So I'm all for it. And uh, again, I think it's a really funny album. So uh, if you can suffer through my, my heavy breathing, uh, I think you're going to hear a delightful conversation with Tony Hendra. Let's present it now. Tony Hendra from the National Lampoon and the Final Edition talking about Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight? A brand new National Lampoon comedy album, first in 35 years. Let's talk about it now on Word Balloon. Man, Tony Hendra, welcome to Word Balloon. As I was just telling you off the air, I am a longtime fan and I'm so thrilled that uh, you're on the podcast. It feels like in this current environment, we need the cavalry of uh, satire to come in. And I think you guys, the final edition and stuff, you've got the talent and experience to be that cavalry. So welcome to the podcast and uh, a welcome voice to this uh, current environment we're living in. Very nice to be on the word balloon. Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, this new album is great. I can't believe it's been 35 years since the last National Lampoon album. But on honestly... Man, the brand has really taken a beating in the last couple decades with some really lousy movies. So thank God you guys are getting back to your roots and doing what you did best. Yeah, well, that's really that's really one of the intentions of the album is definitely to to try and resuscitate the brand a bit because it's been um, the problem really has been that over the last two decades, as you as you mentioned, it, it's uh, basically been the, the magazine or the or the or the, the, the company National Lampoon Inc. Has basically been run by morons and criminals, <laughs> and quite often both, and um, I mean literally criminals. The last, the last proprietors before the current proprietors actually went to jail for kiting the lampoon stock. Um, one of them for four and a half years, and the other one for life. Wow! So <laughs> that's that's those are kind of people who'd be making the decisions, uh, you know, about um, what to put the, what to put the name on, and that's um, th that's that's very sad, really, considering what we were in the glory years and um, and, and for, for a few years after that too. 
So it's very nice to hear you say, John, that, that, the, that Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight is continuing the line. Well, and you, you fall right back into your, your usual formatic uh, patter and uh, what made those sketch albums so great. And I didn't realize that uh, your group, is your group the final edition? Is that, um, is that separate from the Lampoon? You know, tell me about that because that's the comedy group led by you that is performing all this material, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, for the final edition, um, I founded the final edition about five years ago, and um, the first thing we did wasn't on radio. It was uh, to do a parody of the New York Times uh, by doing it, as you remember, five years ago, 2011 and so forth, everyone thought the New York Times was going to go under, finally. You know, it's going to go out of business. Yep. So we decided to do the final edition of the New York Times. And, and it was great fun. You know, the building's on fire, all the editors are running for the hills. <laughs> and um, and uh, uh, so, uh, and that was a big success. We did it with, uh, with Slate and uh, got, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of views. Um, and, um, and then we decided we would sort of continue as the final edition. In, in other words, use that name to, to put up a, set up a group and a website that, that did satire in the tradition that I'm used to, obviously, which is, which is the National Lampoon. And um, one, of the, one of the great things that that meant was that we could start a radio show in the tradition of the old National Lampoon Radio Hour. And that's what the final edition has come to be. The final edition Radio Hour is, uh, has two wonderful casts, one in Los Angeles and one in New York. And uh, we put out a weekly radio show on a, on a number of um, platforms. You can even find it on iTunes usually. And um, and then you know, so the time came when it seemed it seemed logical to to put out an album. And um, what with all the fuss and trouble on campus uh, about um, trigger warnings and safe spaces and microaggressions and speech codes of one kind or another. <coughs> That seemed like a wonderful topic to to get into, which is basically what this album uh, attacks um, in its own special way. Absolutely. Um, and um, and that too is like in, in the tradition of the Lampoon. I mean, the Lampoon was was first and foremost a campus magazine. I mean, with vast the vast majority of our readers were on campus, so it's um, it's it's only right and proper that we should we should go back to the well. Absolutely. I was a little brother, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, amongst my uh, amongst my uh, older brother's penthouses and playboys, there were lampoons. And I'm sure half the reason why he was buying it was for the tits. I won't deny that. But and I mean, you guys knew it when you were making it as well. But that was my entry to the lampoon. And I would just read those ridiculous letters to the editor and, you know, just fun stuff. And in fact, your first your guys first comedy album, you have an excellent performance. You parody the uh, John Lennon, the infamous John Lennon 1970 Rolling Stone interview and and put it to music. Oh, dude. Which unfortunately, we can't quote very much of. <laughs> well, this is a podcast, so you can you can swear if you want to. It's okay. Well, well the, the one line which is which is which I always quote is um, which, which is fairly clean is um, I was the walrus. Paul wasn't the walrus. I was just saying that to be nice, but actually I was the walrus. <laughs> Well, and you would and you would end these direct quotes from you know it's interesting because really it sounded like I, I never really compared the actual interview that that John did with your parody, but essentially you do it and then it's great because every now and then you would just end a end a rant with a rhyming lyric and stuff and it's yeah. so 
Magical Magical Misery Tour is the cut for people who want to find it. And it's from was it Radio Dinner? Was that the first album? Yes, that was that was that was the last cut on Radio Dinner. Yeah. Oh man. You can find it on YouTube. Actually. Exactly. Different versions of it. Oh man. So that and that kind of sketch comedy that we that we really sort of invented at, at Lampoon. I mean, a certain kind of sketch comedy. Anyway, it's not to say it wasn't done before. Sure. But. Um, but we sort of, sort of took it several steps further than anyone else had done, uh, I think, um, even Second City. And, and, uh, and, and that's, um, that, that, that's what we continue to do in Lemmings and also in the Missing White House tapes, all three of which I had my hand Absolutely. Uh, but that's what we're up to with uh, Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight? That's excellent, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm based in Chicago and read that uh, press release that the University of Chicago put out. And honestly, I was so relieved because it's about time that a college finally stood up and said, hey, fuck you in your safe spaces. This, this, is, this is a place where you have to hear different voices that might offend you. But how are you going to really learn if you don't expose yourself to all the voices out there and make up your own mind on what's going on and what you choose to, to follow or believe? Yes, I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, that's certainly on one level, that, that's a, a, a thing to be deplored, because it's, um, talk about the deplorables, but um, it's, uh, it, it, it is to be deplored, but, it, but there's also the even simpler thing, which is that why are you worried about trigger warnings in articles when there are 300 million triggers in the country and a lot of itchy fingers longing to squeeze them? Absolutely. I mean, it's um, it, it, it's, uh, it's it's just it's just a strange a strange response to a very polarized and dangerous time uh, to, to to be worried about these kind of things. So anyway, that's um, yeah. So so we we take that on, the, and the the album takes the form of a of a, of a college concert that the final edition is doing at a small community college in Trickle Down, Ohio, um, <laughs> and. Um, and, and basically, the, the, the campus, the student body, is offended just by the title of our album. They're immediately offended of our album. They, and they accuse us of using sarcasm. And, um, and, and, and somebody, somebody says that one of the hecklers is actually heckling because he's a sarcasm survivor. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, anyway, so then we decide that we'll, we'll just do our most innocuous material first, which is not that innocuous, um, so as not to offend them. But by the end of that, that side, the side one, two, and three on, on the CD, <laughs> and by the end of side one, they're now burning uh, recycling bins, and one woman has a rape whistle, which she blows every time somebody laughs. Uh, it's um, and it's, so it's like that. But then, then it continues, and we just sort of up the ante until basically at the end we've completely cleared the campus, and all you can hear is the proverbial cricket. <laughs> but, but in the course of it, we, you know, we do some pretty stuff. Pretty, excuse me. In, in the course of it, we do some pretty tough satire, which um, which I think is also called for. Agreed. Absolutely, man. No, good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, ISIS. Uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, sex movie, which, yeah. which <laughs> among my favorite bits, absolutely. It's my responsibility to make you come as well. Yes. That was that was beautiful, man. No, it was great. That's the thing. You got you got great people working with you. I mean, the spirit is back. I mean, that's the thing. The vibe is there for a veteran that that appreciated the old stuff 
and I, you know, I hope this is the beginning of, of more albums. I mean, you've got the final edition show, and I assume, do you test stuff out on the show and then and then put it on the album? How did that work? Oh, yeah. yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, we've got, I mean, we've, we've, we've actually been doing the show now for, um, well, almost five years. I mean, it, it'll, it, we started in, in 2012, so at the end of this year, it'll be, you know, it'll be coming up to, um, uh, coming up to five years. So we've got, yeah, we've got a huge archive, and we certainly, if this one, if we can get a few sales, please, um, you know, we're, we're certainly putting them out on a regular basis. And we, we've also got another special project that we're doing for Earwolf, which is coming up, which is about the Supreme Court, which is um, hilarious. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man, when that's when that's ready, I, ho- I hope you'll come back and we can promote that as well, because uh, uh, it'd be my... It's called Men in Black. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Go on. But these guys are, are really wonderful. We have we have great men and great women on both coasts, and it's um, they're, they're just uh, uh, they're just really really good and and really good voice actors and really good writers too. What's what's I think probably unique about this group is that the, is that the writers the writers are the, are the same people as the actors, and and so that that gives everything a, a, a great crispness and and. Uh, uh, you know, a great, a great sort of, just a great sense of group uh, that, that we have. So anyway, um, well, I'm so glad you like it. That's great, John. No, truly, absolutely, man. I, I really did. I mean, there's, you know, something like every comedy album. I'll be completely honest. There's bits that are amazing, and there are bits that it's like, okay. All right, I get it, and we'll move on to the next bit. The great thing is they're very quick, and again, I'm used to that format. I mean, I, I was a fan of the radio, the original Lampoon Radio Hour as a kid as well. 600 stations in its prime, as the Lampoon documentary uh, told me, which blew my mind. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Of course, we, we managed to get rid of most of those by being very rude to sponsors. But um... <laughs> and, and my God, the nucleus of what became Saturday Night Live and other great comedic uh, efforts. I mean, Belushi, Bill Murray, uh, you know, Chevy Chase, of course, in Lemmings, Gilda Radner in Lemmings, and on a lot of the radio bits as well. Christopher Guest, uh, and again, these were all just voices in the air before we got to recognize them on TV on Saturday Night Live, and I think that's the great thing about your new group as well, because then they can slip into these characters very comfortably, and whoever whoever was doing the Bernie imitation was, was fantastic, and uh, yeah, no, this is great, so I hope you're kind of you're teaching the children. Now you're in that Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, mode of the career. You're you're teaching the children well. No, it's, it, it is it is, uh, it is it is it is very gratifying, I must say, to to to, to be able to do that. And it's um, it's uh, I mean uh, a lot of a lot of my cast is half my age, and some of them are like a third of my age. So uh, it's uh, it's great to be able to pass it along, and they and they um, they certainly seem to. Um, they, you know, they, they certainly seem to have, have, have risen to this, um, to, to this, to, to this sort of challenge of, of, of keeping, keeping real satire alive, and, and I, I think it's an incredibly important thing, actually, and especially in a highly polarized society that we have, you know, that we, that we have people really doing, doing hard-edged satire about the things that people don't normally laugh at or, or think you shouldn't laugh at. But as, as Lenny Bruce once said to me, the, the best laughs you can get are things um, when you make them laugh at something they're, they're not supposed to laugh at. And and um, and that's and that's really you, you know that's that, that's really the motto on, on our coat of arms, such as it is. I'm interested in your beginnings because I, I'm really fascinated by the British comedy movement that you were young enough 
to a be part of and also experience. I'm assuming as someone slightly younger, because you know, going back to um, Beyond the Fringe, and when it when it came out, and as you just said, really was certainly in British circles. This, my God, how dare they make fun of things that you know? So yeah, if you wouldn't mind explaining that kind of environment, because there were the goons, and I'm sure you grew up on the goons. Peter Sellers' old radio show for uh, people who don't know about the goon history, and they should read that because that's an amazing story unto itself. But yeah, you know, I mean, can you tell me about that that time and experiencing that stuff and what it must have done to kind of trigger some of these uh, you know influences in yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly I'd be happy to. Um, I, I like talking about my own life immensely. <laughs> But Beyond the Fringe was um, was was, uh, was was a, was a, was a, a really epochal show. Uh, I mean, it it it, uh, it influenced um, uh, certainly an entire generation of um, of people who possibly some of like like myself would not necessarily have become satirists. But it um, it it, uh, it it certainly inspired us to do so. What it was was uh, was the first time uh, it, was, it was a theatrical review. And it was the first time, really, where all the sacred goods of the British Empire and, and, and Britain in general, I mean, anything that you can think of that, that was sacred to, you know, to, to, to the truly loyal Brit, whether it was the monarchy, Shakespeare, the BBC, um, the Church of England, public schools, you know, all these, all these, all these, all these things were just assembled in one, on one stage and eviscerated by this brilliant young team uh, of four men, um, Jonathan Miller, Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, and a very famous English playwright called Alan Bennett. And, um, and, and it was just, it was just mind-boggling. I mean, it, it not only was it hilariously funny, uh, like waves of laughter in the theatre, laughing at these things that had never been laughed at before. Um, and and it's, um, it, it just, uh, it, it just, it, it was a huge hit. It came to Broadway eventually, and um, and really spurred, um, I think, uh, all, all the satire, the, the tremendous, tremendous satire that came out of um, that came out of Britain in the in the early 60s, um, and uh, in, in Cambridge, which is where where I was. Uh, this was actually done by two guys from Cambridge and two guys from Oxford, mm -hmm. and the, the Cambridge guys were were. Uh, Peter Cook and Jonathan Miller, and both of them had been in an organization called Footlights. And Footlights was um, was a kind of satirical society, uh, not unlike the Harvard Lampoon, perhaps, in, it, in, its, um, in its heyday. And um, uh, the, except instead of doing parodies and so on, we did a theatrical review at the end of every school year. So um, Beyond the Fringe had started as uh, as most, most of the material had started as review material in that format. Got it. And these guys just put it all together. So, um, but Footlights was an extraordinary uh, group of people at that time. Not only did it have Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, uh, sorry, Peter Cook and, and uh, Jonathan Miller, um, who were like a couple of years before us, but David Frost had been the president of Footlights uh, the, the year before us, and it was now down in London preparing a show called That Was The Week That Was that had an enormous influence on British television satire. And um, my, my year had, um, amongst other very brilliant people who, who had huge careers in England later, 
but uh, ha had uh, John Cleese and Graham Chapman of Monty Python. So um, these were contemporaries of mine, and I worked with them, uh, you know, on stage at various reviews and nightclub shows and things that we did. Uh, in fact, Graham Chapman was my was my first comedy professional comedy partner. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, so anyway, that's that's that, that's really where a lot of um, uh, and there was a similar organization in Oxford and and in a couple of other universities too. So it was something that was really uh, something that was really powerful and 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 much needed at the time because uh, because certainly. Oh, we all needed a good laugh after World War II, after all. <laughs> Absolutely, my God. Well, exactly, and as, as decimated as England was, and the, the need for, you know, bundles for Britain, I, I know, continued on, you know, for a while in, in the post-war years. And no, I, I, I've heard people like Ted Koppel talk about growing up in, in England and then coming to America at a young age. And, you know, now your years before coming here, because I know you came in the, in the very early 70s and stuff, so at, in that post-Cambridge period, were you doing variety TV? and playing at dinner clubs or whatever the live comedy scene was in, in England at that time? What were you doing? Well, actually, we, um, we Graham, and I, Graham and I worked together in London for about six months, I think, and then he decided he wanted to become the doctor he'd been studying to be at Cambridge. So he went off to St. Bartholomew's Hospital and I had to look for another partner. But I found another um, another guy at Footlights and we, we became um, a comedy team of the same sort, doing very much the same kind of material, which is kind of two two man sketches, you know. Sure. Um, uh, although sometimes we played many more characters, like we did we did a takeoff of the UN in which we played like twenty characters, <laughs> and that was great fun. But um, but no, we came to we came to New York in um, in 1964. Oh damn! Okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, we actually were uh, invited by a, 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 a comedian who we'd been playing with in London called Jackie Mason. Sure. And, and Jackie Mason was, uh, Jackie Mason actually um, uh, signed my, my application for a green card. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. It was great. It was great. And we came, we came here and we got off the boat one, 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 uh, early one morning and by that night, we were appearing at a place called the Bitter End, which is still there, sure. the street, and um, and got like six months of work. It's, uh, we, we, we appeared at a hoot nanny for about five minutes and brought the house down. And uh, the first job we got was opening for Lenny Bruce two weeks later. Wow! At, uh, at the Cafe Gogo. So yeah, we've been rubbing shoulders with uh, I've been rubbing shoulders with the with the great near great for a long time. That's awesome. You know, Lenny Bruce is a presence. On, uh, on the new album, Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight? And I'll let people experience it for themselves. But uh, I, thought, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think we want to put in your podcast. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think I'd actually want to play the, play the cut because, yeah, exactly. But no, I, yeah, but that's the thing, man. I mean, I, again, it's, it's a joke. And I think people, for it, well, like I was about to, that's why I wanted you to go back to your beginnings because, yeah, because of World War II and the horrors, I mean, People were clearly depressed. I don't think comedy went as far as you guys did prior to World War II, obviously, but maybe in some real raunchy kind of publications and things like that. Certainly not in broadcasting and probably not on in uh, the live theater, uh, you know, experience. But, you know, we're, we're at a point that it was so weird. You guys all pushed the envelope. You guys and George Carlin and, you know, people like that that really had something to say beyond the humor. 
and really had a had a very important you know point of view and certainly coming in that vietnam era and everything and watergate that was a real necessary time i mean and again here we are i I guess my point was i guess you know what goes around comes around because you know god we thought nixon was a jerk and just kind of a douche and we really didn't know until watergate how you know kind of scummy well i guess again you know i was a little kid but we really didn't know until watergate the, the mass public what kind of douche he really was and now we've got a douche running for president and it's like well, you know, and, and they seem to be okay with that. So, uh, like I said, the, the satire cavalry needs to come back again to kind of, like, say, no, really, like, take a look at these guys. And thankfully, there have been things like Daily Show and John Oliver's great show last week tonight and Samantha B and people like that. But, right. you know, I it's funny that um, radio, you can't do it on radio. And, it's, and I really feel like audio sketch comedy went away for a while. And, again, when I was a little kid thinking about getting into radio, I'm like, Oh, maybe I could do that. That would be great. And I literally, just as I was coming of age in the early 80s, that's when it all died out. Yes, yes. No, it disappeared very quickly. It was, uh, well, I have my own theories about that. Please. Uh, book about it. You know, I want to read that. Please give the title of your book because I, I only just discovered it in the, the press releases they sent me to talk with you. But yeah, please mention the title. Uh, the, the title is Going Too Far, and I wrote it in the, in the late 80s. Um, and it's really a history of what I called various things like, you know, sick anti-establishment and then a whole bunch of other adjectives like that that, 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 that was called this particular kind of humor. But the humor that, um, satirical humor, that really began in the mid-50s with Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul and uh, was continued by Second City and then eventually by The Lampoon and, uh, you know, the great comedians of the 70s like Lily Tomlin. You bet. George and, um, and, and Richie Pryor and so on. Sure. And, and, um, and, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's basically a history and analysis of that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think satire is, uh, is an immensely important uh, factor in society, as I said. And, and it's, uh, its basic job is to um, prevent power from becoming corrupted. As we all know, power tends to corrupt, according to Lord Acton. And and uh, that's uh, that's our job is to stop that happening. Uh, and um, and so I think um, you know I don't think I, I don't think I would say that we have a particular message. Uh, I mean we're we're just as as you can tell from the album we're just as uh, we're just we're just as hard on our own as we are on the enemy, if you will. Sure. Uh, but but that was always the case at the Lampoon too. I mean we were always we were always very tough on the movement and and and, and left wing. Uh, left in politics when it became absurd, um, which it which it frequently did, um, as we were, you know, at the, at the hands of Nixon, and, um, and 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 I mean, you have to you have to remember that you know it, it, it works. I mean, then satire actually achieves something. Um, I mean, Carl Bernstein, who was one of the two people who brought who brought down. Um, Nixon became a friend of mine uh, in, in later years, and he he once commented to me. He said, "You know, if it hadn't been for the National Lampoon, we would never have got Nixon to resign." Wow. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's. I mean, you know, Carl has a sense of humor, so I'm sure there was <laughs> I'm sure there was a little bit of a joke in there, but but I think he he half meant it too. He, he really I mean, by you know, by the time Nixon resigned. Um, it was 74. We were reaching probably 10 million people, most of them under 30, um, in, in across the country. I mean, our circulation was 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 a million 
by then, and it was, uh, you know, the, the, there was a huge pass-along rate with the Lampoon. Sure. Which, is, which means, you know, the hand-to-hand that certain magazines are given. Absolutely. Um, but, um, so, yeah, you know, you've got to keep plugging away. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't show, but sometimes it does. And, you know, you get rid of a criminal in the White House. <laughs> but, you know, back then... The mainstream, you know, or at least parts of the mainstream, because the man who uh, backed Lampoon was the man who created the Diners Club uh, credit card, correct? Uh, yes, and he also created Weight Watchers magazine. Oh, okay, there, yes. You know, I always forget, that's right, Weight Watchers, and I'm a, I'm a fat guy, so I do know this. Weight Watchers and Lampoon were published by the same people, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> but, it, 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 I always loved that his name was Matty Simmons. I always loved that he, he first of all, he, he started the Diners Club and got enormously fat. <laughs> started Weight Watchers magazine and lost a lot of it. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I was going to say, because back in 72 and 73 and 74, during the whole Watergate scandal, um, you know, artists of the mainstream were not afraid to stand up. Stevie Wonder had that great song, You Haven't Done Nothing. And it was absolutely him yelling at Nixon and throwing it all out there. We're sick and tired of your lies. And and to try and imagine... Uh, and not to pick on him, but like a Justin Timberlake suddenly standing up and, and recording a, you know, Hillary Clinton, we don't like you. Donald Trump, we don't like you. We don't like either one of you. You know, I mean, that, right, exactly. But the, but the great thing is you guys had, you know, uh, that great subversive humor. And you and luckily you had guys like Manny that would back you and everything. Now uh, it, it, there are different platforms for this stuff to come out. And I wonder how you feel about you know, the current platforms where audio exists, like podcasting and uh, and streaming and stuff. Streaming sometimes is backed by the man. I know you're uh, are you are part of this iHeartRadio. Uh, you're going to be have an iHeartRadio channel, if you don't already? Uh, well, the Lampoon has an iHeartRadio channel, which we've been... Um We've been providing the content for because they don't they don't really have a, a, a sort of an ongoing creative team. Sure. So we're um, we're providing that for them, and um, uh, that seems a very natural thing to do, which is why we we asked them to you know co-sponsor the album. Um, and um, but uh, but yeah, the larger question of, of, of I mean <laughs> I have this sort of um, fake statistic, which is that you know the the um, 97.3 of uh, the males, young males who use the internet, think they're funny as shit. And um, <laughs> the good news is that 96.7 of them aren't. Yes. <laughs> so that's really the problem, uh, which is that there's just so much dreck out there that, that, you, that you have to wait to to get to the good stuff, um, that, the, that the opportunity is, is, is less than it might seem on paper. So uh, you do have to you do have to put up with an awful lot of not very good comedy in order to get, as I say, to the good stuff. But I mean that aside, uh, it's obviously fantastic that uh, you know that you can sort of make your own radio and have all these platforms to distribute it on. Because I mean I don't think I don't think there's any medium as good as radio or as audio, let's say, Agreed. Uh, for satire mm. because you it, it brings it pulls the listener in. And, and you know, so that she can use her imagination, and and, uh, and and you can build a sketch any way you want. You can put Pope Francis and you know a team of gorillas on the moon if you want to, and and do it. Just, and all it takes is a few sound effects. Absolutely. To do that on video would cost you a fortune. Yeah, that's. Uh, you'd have to get the Pope for one thing. 
Chimpanzees, which I'm quite sure hustle on. No, I, you know, so it, yeah, go on. Um, audio is fantastic that way. Well, and, and that's the thing. I, I'm, you know, I, I agree with all of you, everything you said, because there is so much comedy dreck that is on YouTube, and I appreciate the energy and ambition, but what's missing is, you know, well, you know, they got to get their 10,000 hours in to actually get funny, first of all. Right. But then, and then also, like you say, um, you can do anything with audio, and that seems to have fallen by the wayside. I mean, God, I, I, I have a daytime radio job, and, you know, CBS Network is uh, seller, selling its radio division to buy into a movie company. And, you know, radio has homogenized itself to, you know, it being very inconsequential beyond local news and, and maybe some entertaining talk, but uh, certainly not you know the 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 challenges that I guess you guys even faced doing a, a funny radio show back in the Lampoon days with the FCC. But I mean, it's just I don't know. It's hard. But thank God now we do have podcasting and stuff, so you can you can gather an audience. But it's tough to find you. I didn't know that you had been doing this final edition stuff for the last couple of years. The last thing I heard you on was on an, an NPR panel show a couple of years ago, and it wasn't even something that my NPR affiliate regularly ran. But it, it was it was great, and it's like oh goddamn, there's Tony Hendra. That's I loved him in Spinal Tap. I like his Lampoon stuff. It was good. To, it, it was good to hear you back, man. So you know. With all the noise going on, it's very difficult to stand out. And even if you've got, uh, you know, even if you've got a track record, uh, if it's um, it's uh, it's just it's just there's a lot of noise out there. Sure. So it's um, anyway, yeah. So it, it, it's kind of splendid that. Um, that, that we've that we've that we've got this album out. I mean, it's um, I'm, I'm deeply grateful to my people, all of whom um, work pro bono, which is amazing, um, and have done for years, and and uh, and, and uh, are just the most talented people I've I've come across for a long, long time. Do they ever perform? I mean, are they stand-ups as well as you know radio or audio actors? I mean, like, and do they take some of this material and and do it? on the road on if they are stand-ups themselves um well i don't think um certainly certainly some of them have um a lot of them in fact my partner jeff chrysler is is uh, is is a, is a working comedian and has uh, you know he's got a number of awards in fact um and um and so several of several other people uh in the in the teams in one coast or another uh who who, who yeah who, who either work in the theater or do who do stand-up um and, um, uh, you know, but, but one thing that I would love to do, and I think people would, uh, my cast would love to do, is actually take some of this stuff live and, um, and, do, and start doing live shows. So it's another reason we want the album to get out there and be an advertisement for us. Uh, so we can get some bookings. That'd be great. I think it'd be hilarious. Absolutely. Well, you know, Lemmings was such an amazing live show. The precursor to Saturday Night Live and featured uh, Belushi and and uh, Chevy Chase and Gilda Radner, and I'll let you fill in the rest in terms of uh, those people that did become Saturday Night Live people. And again, this was before Saturday Night Live, so it really did kind of become a thing. Uh, and you fil were you the director of the stage production, but also, or, or did you also do? I know it's on film. Did they release it as a movie, Lemmings? Um, well, it wasn't. It, there was a very bad video version of it, which uh, which, which you can't see actually. I mean, it's um, it's not very good quality, but because it was like you know 1973, there wasn't. 
Sure. Looked like everybody had an iPhone. <laughs> but but it was um, but it's but it's yeah it's, it's got you know it's got Belushi and Chase and uh, and and, uh, and of course wonderful Christopher Guest. Yes. Um, in doing all these doing all these parodies. Um, but yes, I, I produced it, and and I mean I was I would I wouldn't say I directed it exactly. It's sort of <laughs> this group was very was kind of a, a little hard to direct. Um, well, you can imagine Chevy Chase. John Belushi. I mean, Chris. Chris would listen to what I was saying, but they basically did what they wanted. So, uh, so I, I, you could say I misdirected it, or I you know, <laughs> overlooked it, or something. Um, but, um, uh, but yes. I mean, I was, I, I was involved with it and, and co-wrote it, and and uh, actually, you know, I, I wouldn't say I discovered John Belushi because he was the second city already, but I, I certainly gave him his first job. Um, in New York and off Broadway, so um, so that was a yeah, that was a fantastic show, and and, and that did extremely well too. I'm really interested in Belushi and, and guest time at the Radio Hour because again, being a fan of the albums, and you know, in fact, in the in the Lampoon documentary, uh, someone is like, "Hey, man, like." pay Belushi some sort of stipend to keep him here because you're really going to, you know, this, this is amazing and we don't want to let this comedy genius go away. And it sounded like he was very involved in, in the radio hour stuff. And I'd, I'd be interested in, in hearing about Belushi and guests' involvement. Well, um, Christopher never, he, he never actually um, directed, I don't think he may have directed individual shows, but um, the, original, the, the original producer sort of director um, again, you know, it was a troupe that sort of did its own direction, really. But uh, with Michael O'Donoghue, who was uh, my, my co-producer on Radio Dinner. Um, but um, Michael actually didn't do it for that long. And, uh, and John was, uh, seemed like a powerful enough person uh, to take it over. So it was given to him to direct. And, um, and he then pulled in uh, all these Second City people uh, like uh, Bill, Brian Murray and Bill Murray, sure. brother, and, and Gilda, and, um, uh, and then a number of other very talented people. Um, but, uh, but those obviously were the people who ended up, uh, ended up in Saturday Night Live. And, um, and Chevy. Chevy was, was, there, was there for a couple of years, too, I think, in and out. But, uh, but Christopher's, Christopher's con- contribution there was, was, uh, was as a... The song parodist, uh, <laughs> parodist, but he was a brilliant parody. He had brilliant parody voices, and and he could do just about anybody or any type. Um, immensely valuable talent. Um, but I think um, uh, I think one of one of the one of one of his fav- one of my favourite things he did on the radio show was uh, was something called the the liberal middle class blues. Um, no, sorry, the well-intentioned liberal middle-class blues, which uh, which is basically a sort of Pete Seeger type. <laughs> yep. Singing, yeah, singing the the, uh, the well-intentioned liberal um, middle-class blues, but um, but and, and John was, um, you know, John thought he was a good impressionist, but wasn't terribly. Good. <laughs> He was he was he was a brilliant uh, he was obviously a brilliant uh, comedy talent and um, uh, and and um, yeah he, he and Chris I would say were were kind of the backbone of of the group but I mean there were other people uh, were other t- terrifically talented people 
doing the show, obviously with Bill, Bill, Bill there and, and, and Gilder and so on. Sure. Um, but um, but anyway, so the, yeah, so that they 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 were. Uh, it's one one of the interesting things about the radio show was that was it wasn't very political, uh, which I which I always found a little frustrating. <clears throat> but it, it sort of. Um, you know, it, it, it began running after Watergate, so it didn't really, or maybe it may have launched like during Watergate, but then, you know, uh, continued after Watergate, uh, after he resigned. Um, and um, I always I always felt that we could have done more of the kind of material that we do on Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight uh, at, the, at, the, at the radio hour. But it just wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of uh, the time for it. As a matter of fact, once Nixon resigned, uh, we were, you know, we were up shit creek, right? <laughs> this is true. It was Ford was just like a, a wet flannel. He, well, he wasn't worth, he wasn't worth satirizing. Sure. But uh, kind of like Trump. He goes further than you'd ever go. It's just like he's a non-entity, you know. He's a mouth driven by an ego, and it's uh, it, it's it's a, it's a fucking reality star. I mean, who satirizes reality stars? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but like, do you feel as a, as a satir? Oh, I'm sorry. Finish your thought, and then I'll ask the question. No, no, no. He's, we do we do occasionally do Trumpian things, but they're usually about something people's reaction to Trump or the fact they're supporting him or something like that. He's he's sort of beneath us. We feel. <laughs> well. Because I know, well, I know Roseanne Barr, and of course, a headline. You know, people who write headlines, you want to kill them sometimes. Because Roseanne Barr was basically saying, "I'm for Trump. To, I'm for a Trump presidency because of the comedy that it will provide." Not that she wants him to run the country, but oh my God, you know, when you got an idiot at the wheel, who the hell knows what'll happen? So I would imagine, as a satirist, as much as Trump in his own incarnation isn't much, but God, you know, yeah, I would think the same thing that. Uh, although a Hillary presidency could easily, uh, you know, provide it material as well. I was about to say, yes, I mean, absolutely. I, I don't think either of them are going to be terrible for satirists. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's, but again, it's like, uh, I, I'm, if, if he does get it, well, actually, we, we did this long ago. We did this at the Lampoon. In 1972, we, uh, we founded a fake pack, which was called Satirists for Nixon Agnew. <laughs> we elect them and keep us in business, you know. And, and yeah, that's the same thing Roseanne was saying. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I, 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 if, if he does get in, what I'm really looking forward to is, is Trump's cabinet. I think that's going to be. Really cool. <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah, really. There's. I think it'll be all human. I think there might be some animals in there. Yeah, that's a Justice League. I, I really want to see assemble. Yeah. Yikes. You know, and you mentioned Christopher Guest, and I want people to know if they dig up old Lampoon stuff, killer imitation of uh, Mr. Roberts' uh, neighborhood. Uh, you know, and, and and that blues song that you mentioned, if people love Mighty Wind, it really is that that same character that he did in The Folksman. Uh, yeah. And it's it's that great Pete Seeger kind of uh, warbly voice. No, he's great. great. <laughs> There's a, you know, yeah. Oh, it was exactly. <laughs> yeah. A little little Kate Hepburn in there. Exactly. man. So can I and, and I, I got to ask the obligatory spinal tap uh, questions and stuff. So, yeah, tell me tell me about the experience. I mean, Rob Reiner, the director. I mean, again, all these people that had these lampoon backgrounds and, and oh, well, not only uh, lampoon, but Michael McKeon coming from was it credibility gap? Was that his group? Wow. You do know your stuff, dude. I, dude, I swear to you, I am. Like I said, this was 
honestly, this was my shit. I mean, I loved all that stuff back then. And again, really thought, oh, when I get into radio, I want to be in a, a group like that. We had a group in Chicago called The Usual Suspects that came from Second City. And they were very funny. They were not in the credibility gap uh, or uh, Acme uh, or Ace uh, Trucking Company, Fred Willard's group. You know, I mean, you know, so, yeah, that's why I was just like, oh, this is going to be great. And it all went away. <laughs> While I was in college, it all went away. Reagan somehow managed to make it disappear. I don't know. He didn't make me disappear, but I mean, I kept doing it. But uh, and George kept doing it, for, to, to his to his eternal credit, George Carlin. Oh yeah, of course. Yes, yes. But, it, but somehow the, it, the Reagan sort of made it all disappear. But you should read my book to find out why I think that happened. No, I really do. I, I absolutely, and I have the full title for people. It's uh, going too far: the rise and demise of sick. Gross, black, sophomoric, weirdo, pinko, anarchist, underground, anti-establishment humor. Right. You know, you can't fit that on a paperback cover, unfortunately. <laughs> but but so tell me about uh, Spinal Tap. Because, again, in this void, or what seemed to be this void, you know, at least this piece of uh, satire manages to come through. Yes, I mean, at, um, and, and it is satirical. I mean, a lot of it's parody, obviously, but it, but it, 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 it does have its satirical moments. Um, and... Um, but anyway, so the way it happened was uh, um, the, uh, the the way I got into it was through Rob, actually, who was an old friend of mine from from even pre before Lampoon days um, when I lived in California. Uh, I got to know him, but um, and he too was in uh, he was in a group called the Committee, which was an offshoot of Sex City. Yes. Um, and. Um, so he, uh, he he called me up one day and said, "Look, we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this takeoff of a, of a of a really bad British heavy metal band, and um, and we'd like you to be the manager. You know, this uh, this uh, real you know sleazy, untrustworthy character. You know, it's perfect for you, Tony." <laughs> uh, and so I said, "Well, that sounds great. Uh, can I see a script?" And he said, "No, we're going to improvise it all." And of course, Rob and, and, and all the other guys were used to doing improv. Um, and I'd never done any at all, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I was terrified, but I did say yes, because it, it just seemed like a, a great, fun project. Um, and really, the rest is history. I mean, we, we, instead of writing a script, we, we improvised about 20 minutes of what would probably be in the eventual movie scenes that would, would be in the eventual movie and that was our that was our kind of calling card and um and norman Lear became the producer who obviously had um produced all in the family and a number of other great uh, great series in the 70s you bet particularly because rob rob Reiner was a star was a star of it certainly but um the um and he produced uh, he produced this as final time um and um what can i say the rest is history <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, no, really f tremendous stuff. And again, yeah, probably the thing that you're most known for. But it's great that it's like instead, and I was, you know, I likely am saying this in the introduction, you're that guy because it's like, oh, you know, he was, uh, he was Ian Faith in uh, Spinal Tap, their manager. Oh, that guy. And, oh, yeah, he did that John Lennon bit, uh, you know, that was the Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, yeah, that guy. And, I mean, you know, that's, that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm really glad that uh, you're, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, but less people bother you then when you're trying to get somewhere, and you know, so that so so anonymity has its uh, benefits. I can I certainly can appreciate that. Uh, as we wrap up, I just want to know because one of the projects that I hear you're working on through uh, the information given to me um, is 
a possible scripted, uh, you know, program based on those early Lampoon days. Is that is that right? Um, yeah, that is true. I'm, I'm, um, I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I regard it as bad luck. I understand. Um, <laughs> but no, I've been working on this. I've been working on a series with a, a wonderful writer who was uh, who was actually part of the Lampoon um, uh, called Janice Hirsch, and um, Janice has an enviable and long track record in uh, you know, some of the best comedy that's been written in Hollywood in the last 30 years, which includes Frasier and Murphy Brown and Will and & Grace and, uh, and lots of other stuff in between. So uh, she and I have written, um, yeah, we've written a pilot and a couple of episodes. That's great, man. I, I'm really rooting for you guys because I really think that creative time, and again, I guess everyone's childhood is their golden age, but it just seems to me, as someone that was younger, growing up around this stuff and hitting adolescence as you guys were kind of hitting your peak and stuff, that there really was an interesting creative time. And I think it's something that HBO tried to do this year with vinyl and, you know, I, I kind of misfired. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, uh, again, publishing. I know, too, I, I talked to cartoonists on my podcast as well. And I know that, you know, I mean, God, and again, the Lampoon. My God, you guys had some of the people that I've talked to, Russ Heath and Neil Adams and, you know, some some of those wonderful, uh, you know, superhero cartoonists that were also drawing incredible satire for the Lampoon back then as well. So, yeah, it was it was an amazing time for for, real, you know, interesting, creative voices. And I think is, you know, the kind of thing that would make a very great television show, given uh, the obstacles that you guys had uh, back then and, and comparing it to today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the I think the, the sort of bottom line here is that without being without being sort of precious about it, I do think that the, these times are very similar to the '70s in the sense that there's deep polarization, deep anger, uh, and I don't want to get too serious about it, but I think there's very a lot of things are very similar, and 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 uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why our humor ought to reflect that. Um, and and, uh, and and I hope uh, you know I hope I hope the final edition isn't the only um, organization that that, um, that decides to take satire to you know a new a new point um, but that's certainly what we're up to absolutely man no it's uh no, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you're back on the front lines on the fight. I think uh, speaking for the audience, we need you. So no, this is great. Again, uh, it's. Are there any triggers here tonight? Like the famous Lenny Bruce routine. <laughs> Absolutely. New National Lampoon and Final Edition product headed by Tony Hendra. It's been a pleasure, sir. Seriously, I'm. I'm. I'm really glad you're back, and I, I hope this isn't the only time that you you wind up on the podcast. When you have something new to talk about, like the Earwolf thing, please come back. Well, I would love to, John. It's been great talking with you. So pleased with my conversation with Tony Hendra. Sorry for the heavy breathing, but uh, are there any triggers here tonight? The new comedy album from National Lampoon and the final edition, available now everywhere where you get downloadable music, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, you name it. Uh, also available at uh, Tony's website, thefinaledition.com. Don't forget, too, that uh, The Final Edition has their own channel on iHeartRadio. And, uh, you know, actually, Word Balloon is uh, now available on iHeartRadio, along with uh, Stitcher and SoundCloud, Last.fm, all those other alternatives to iTunes. Nothing wrong with that. However you uh, need to get uh, a uh, Google, is it Google Voice? I think it's Google Voice. 
But uh, wherever Google has its podcast, Word Balloon is on there as well. So, uh, you know, tell your friends if they don't uh, have an iPhone, if they have an Android device or whatever. Plenty of ways. And, of course, the website, wordballoon.com. Thanks again for listening. Questions or comments, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. You can follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter on at John Word Balloon. And uh, I look forward to your comments. I hope you uh, liked today's show, and I hope my heavy breathing didn't turn you off. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.